This is Chris. Welcome to episode 342 of X Lapsed, where, uh, well, last episode we were in the Destiny of X era. That was a pretty big deal. But today we're actually dipping back into the pre-Destiny of X era. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this is uh, because Marvel just couldn't get the book out on time or if DCBS couldn't get it to me on time, but uh, we're finally dipping back into that Sabretooth miniseries that... uh, the first issue we enjoyed quite a bit. I should have wrote down the episode we discussed that in. I Maybe I did at some point in the script, but uh, it was a good issue. It was a really good issue. It asked a lot of the uh, questions that uh, I think we wanted to have asked uh, as far as it uh, pertains to things like the pit and um, Krakoa's concept or the Quiet Council's concept on uh, imprisonment and stuff like that. There are analogies to be made to the real world as well, which we might get into as we work our way through. But, um, you know, I was all excited about the Destiny of X era, and I even changed, like, the the format of the, you know, quote-unquote cover art for the episodes here. That They're, they're colored like stained glass now. Um, there's a whole new kind of uh, numbering motif and... Here we are, right back to where we were before, because uh, this one is not branded with the new um, trade dress. So we, you know, throw back to the old one for this. But from moving moving forward, we'll you know keep going back into the uh, the Destiny of X sort of motif there. Now, with all that said, how about we just hop on in? We are discussing Sabretooth Volume Four, Number Two. Had a May 2022 cover date. Stories called Know Your Enemy, written by Victor Lavalle, or Laval, I don't know how to say that. Art, Leonard Kirk. Colors, Rain Barreto. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Amaro White-Sabolsky. Cover price, $4. This one went on sale, wow, almost four months ago. Allegedly. <laughs> this is uh, March 9th, 2022. And the... You guys know I always say the on-sale date. And usually, I'm about... 90 to 95% certain that that date is right. But uh, nowadays, you know, Marvel has some issues shipping product. And uh, it's. I look at the Marvel website, I look at the Marvel wiki, I look at uh, Amazon, I look at uh, the, the date that's printed inside these books, and very seldom do they match anymore. So uh, we're just going to go with uh, you know whatever date is our best guess. And, I mean, who cares, really? At the end of the day, nobody cares. I mean, the people buying this stuff don't care. The people selling this stuff don't care. I mean, Marvel can't put books out. DC doesn't have a physical address anymore. And there are still people touting that this is the most, uh, the best year in comics since the 50s. Which, come on now. Let's, uh, Let's get real. Anyway, let's get into it. 
We open with a mostly blank quote page from Frederick Douglass. He talks about how building strong children is easier than repairing broken men. Now, this might not actually be a direct quote from Douglas, but it ain't like anybody's paying attention anyway. Our story opens with our five new exiles being sentenced to the pit. It's a flashback, of course. Oddly, the only Quiet Council members present here are Xavier and Magneto. Doug and Krakoa are there as well, of course, but only to act maybe a little bit out of character to provide counterpoint. Or at least be a bit wishy-washy about the, uh, the entire endeavor here. You see, Doug, he, he ain't seeing, he's not, that, he's not that keen on this sentencing, which does and doesn't entirely track with how he's been presented to this point. I mean, in fairness, his stance, his stance as it pertains to the pit has always been a bit wobbly. Uh, he's not cool with this group being sent down, just like he wasn't cool with Nature Girl and Curse being sent. But I can't seem to remember him putting up much of a fight for Sabretooth, Toad, or Nanny, and Orphan Maker. I could be mistaken, but I don't think he put up much of a fight. Anyway, our exilees have numbers over their heads. I would assume those are in reference to which of three of the three Krakoan laws they'd broken. Now, Third Eye broke law number one. Law one is make more mutants. Which, um, hmm. Uh, did he take part in, like, a, a back alley abortion or something? I mean, did, did he wear a condom? Did he get a vasectomy? I mean, over in Way of X, we saw Stacy X handing out birth control, right? If that's the case, shouldn't she be pit-bound as well? I don't know, maybe we'll find out more. Probably not today, though. Uh, Necra and Oya broke Law 2, which is kill no man, and uh, maybe we'll find out more about that as we work our way through. Finally, Box and Melter broke Law 3, respect this sacred land. Anyway, after some talky-talk, they are thrown in the hole. From here we get our double-page spread of Roll, Call, and Crit. Our characters include Sabretooth, Professor X, Doug, Krakoa, Necra, Oya, Melter, Third Eye, and Madison Jeffries. We resume our story in Hell. Well, it looks like Hell. And, and Oya assumes that it is Hell, uh, mostly because she's a guilty religious sort who's always feared eternal damnation. This is a, a, you know, a bit of her personality that goes all the way back to her earliest appearances in the X-Books here. She and Box are fleet-footing away from Sabretooth, who would very much like to floss his teeth with their bones. We then zip over to another corner of Hell, where Necra and Melter are also trying to flee from Creed. Melter, in, in seeing this fiery landscape, wonders why Xavier would have lied to them topside when he said that there would be no pain nor torture in the pit. Necra suggests that maybe Xavier wasn't lying, and the more likely explanation here is that he just plain doesn't know what happens in the pit. Elsewhere again, Third Eye is trying to suss out the truth. Possibly what his Third Eye power can do? I guess? I don't know. Now, he quotes Gene Toomer, or G G Jean Toomer, I don't know how to say that name. Uh, he also looks skyward, or at least upwards, where he finally discovers the reality of this place. And we'll find out more in a bit. But first, Sabretooth confronts his new roommates. Now, this is that uh, triumvirate of Sabretooths. We have, like, the business-like creed, the 90s costumed creed, the child, and also the cat. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it's a foursome, you know. Oh, and uh, there's also the King of Hell, Sabretooth, so I guess we can forget everything I just said about a triumvirate. 
Uh, now, as the King of Hell goes to lunge, Jeffries gives us an X-Men Green lecture, lecture on microplastics before using his powers to noink all those plastics from Vic's body. You know, it's like how everything we drink has bits of microplastic in it, and they're inside our bodies, and, you know. So Sabretooth right now is kind of looking like a plasticky Wolverine circa his Fatal Attractions run-in with Magneto. Sabretooth likes it, though. Now, he realizes here that these geeks might actually put up a fight and perhaps even give him a good time in the hunt. Now, just as the fight heats up, Third Eye enters the scene to shine a light. Now, Creed refers to him as Black Columbo. T.E. says that he prefers Easy Rollins. Now, Ezekiel, Easy Rollins, is a black detective character created by Walter Mosley, who wrote the recently ended Thing miniseries. Now, Rollins first appeared in the novel Devil in a Blue Dress from 1990, and he's been depicted in film by the likes of Denzel Washington. So, Third Eye, he reveals the truth, which is that they're all just unconsciously hanging from Krakoan vines and roots, and everything that they're seeing here is nothing more than an illusion. Our man decides he's going to go try and astral plane himself out of here to find a bit of help topside. Now, I'm not sure if this is one of his powers or not. Uh, we don't know much about him. Just yet, right? Anyway, he does manage to do this. He ascends out of the pit, or his essence does, and he finds himself in the bedroom of... Mole? Hmm, okay, Mole. Uh, first appearance, X-Factor number 51, February 1990, cover date. He was created by Louise Simonson and Terry Shoemaker. He was a, he was a survivor of the Mutant Massacre, which was something in that issue that Sabretooth sought to rectify. Now, while Mole's pal Chicken Wing was killed in this second attack, Mole himself was able to burrow himself to safety. Anyway, Third Eye is able to make contact and convinces Mole to try and spread the word about the truth of the pit. From here, we go to an info page, and it's all about how Mole got away from Sabretooth after X-Factor number 53, April 1990 cover date. And, well, he did it by, by tunneling. Now, it was heavily implied at the end of that issue that Mole was, in fact, killed. He hadn't been seen since, but hey, now we know. Now, he also says that he was in competition for the love of a woman named Opal Tanaka with Angel, which is very, very wrong because Opal was Iceman's girlfriend. So either that's an error or something they're purposely trying to bury nowadays. Back to comics, and we follow Mole around Krakoa as he tries to get the word out. First, he bumps into Apocalypse, huh? We haven't seen Apocalypse since Ex of Swords. Though, I suppose in fairness, we don't exactly know when this particular story is happening. For all I know, the scene is taking place pre-Ex of Tens. Or, maybe the big guy's just back for a visit? I mean, maybe he visits all the time, and we just don't know. I don't know. Next, he tries to get the attention of Storm, but she's too busy. As is Wolverine. Archangel doesn't even notice him, but then again, they are, you know, rivals, even though they're not. Anyway, Mole realizes that he can't count on anybody for help, so he's got to do this all by himself. We hop back to the pit, which is now modded to look like Krakoa State Penitentiary. Sabretooth and the Exiles are in a cell to plan their escape. Sabretooth has placed an Xavier and a, and a Magneto outside the bars. And we learn a little bit about why Melter is here. And, hmm, it's weird. Uh, he claims that he was just out training. His powers went amok, and he destroyed a boulder, thereby disrespecting the sacred land. And, huh, that's it? Hmm. 
Now, Necra totally owns the fact that she killed some dudes, which uh, brings a smirk to Sabretooth's face. Oya wonders how long they're going to be down here. Sabretooth repeats what Xavier said to him way back in House of X number 6, which is to say, unless something you know drastic happens, they're going to be there forever. Now, we wrap up with Creed telling his crew that they're going to get out of there and they're going to make those responsible pay. Next time out, if I'm not mistaken, we'll be discussing Marauders Volume 2, Number 1. Uh, we've already discussed the Marauders Annual, which is going to be kicking off this era, and I, I, I question whether or not I read that issue right, because I read it a certain way, which uh, I'm not sure it was the way it was intended to be read, but uh, the way I read it, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I enjoyed it far more than I expected to, so we will see if that holds up in the series proper. But for now, let's talk about this issue, which I liked it. I liked it a lot, actually. I do have a few reservations. Um, it does kind of feel like it's operating in a vacuum. You know, kind of not really meshing with everything we know so far about Krakoa in the pit. And there's also that kind of slippery timescale thing with the apocalypse appearance. And like I said, this very well could be pre-Exitens, or, I mean, it could... For all I know, be a story that'll that'll span the entire era. I mean, the mechanics of the pit facilitates that kind of thing, right? And if that is the case, seems as though our, our boy Mole is a pretty ineffective uh, agent in spreading the word and raising the alarm. But uh, maybe that's the point, right? Maybe that is the point here. Maybe this is a commentary on how powerless the you know the ordinary rank and file of any society or civilization is here. How people, you know, there, there's a uh, this concept of uh, equality, and then there's also the concept of people being more equal than, you know, some people are more equal than others. You know, some people have more of a voice. And uh, I think the use of a character like Mole, who, I mean, he was one that I actually had to check the wiki on. I knew who he was. I, I knew I knew him. I just couldn't tell you a damn thing about him. And I think that might be by design. And if we are talking about a storyline that just spans the past few years of the of the of the books here, I think that's a powerful way to go about it. I, I really kind of dig that. Now, let's try to clarify some stuff here, which might ultimately be tossed out the window the next time you know we cover an issue of this series or get to the end of it for for certain here. We know that all mutants on Krakoa received amnesty, right? Like, upon arrival, the whole setup of the government, all sins were forgiven, slates were wiped clean, all that kind of jazz here. So, we have to assume that the laws that our exiles broke here happened post-Hoxpox. So that would be to say that Oya and Necra killed a bunch of dudes between then and now, and uh, that they're not in the pit for anything that happened back in the long ago. So, I wonder how this is going to play out. Part of me is a bit concerned that there's going to be a bit of uh, creative editing employed, though hopefully I'm wrong about that. Outside of these past couple of issues, I don't know anything about Victor Valle. I don't even know how to say his name. But uh, I, I, from the way this story is being built, I, I, I think I would say I have a fair bit of confidence in, in the way he's going to take this here. don't have any confidence in the editorial team. But uh, the writer, <laughs> I am confident in, uh, in what he might have planned here. Now, I think what this might be coming down to is, and I mean, this is obvious, a commentary on law and imprisonment. 
which I suppose is fair game. Uh, we do hear all the time about how uneven prison sentences can be, right? Uh, you can get a shorter sentence for violent crime than if you were caught carrying drugs, for example. That's, you know, a big one, especially here in the United States. Uh, now, while I'm not convinced that Melter's sin against Krakoa is quite as innocent as it's being portrayed here, it does raise the question as to the fairness of imprisonment, especially on an island that touts to not believe in imprisonment at all. And I, you know, I suppose depending on your own personal mileage, these questions might be the ones that you'd like to see raised here. I, I'm, I'm fairly ambivalent. To, you know, I, I think about how, you know, tactful uh, comic writers can be when they discuss things. You know, certain hot button issues, certain issues that we gravitate toward uh, on an emotional level rather than a logical one. Things like, you know, false imprisonment. Not, not so much false imprisonment, but unfair imprisonment. That is an issue that, uh, I mean, it's a political volleyball. It's something that comes up with every election cycle. So everyone's going to fix it. You know, everybody's going to fix it. And the other guy's going to fix it better than the other guy. And nothing gets done. You know, nothing gets done because, well, <laughs> politics get involved and money gets involved. And it's just a, the proverbial sticky wicket in it. Um, which is where I think the the uh, comparative um, sort of uh, element might be a little bit weaker, right? Krakoa doesn't have to worry about... Uh, I mean, prisons here in the States have, uh, you know, inmates who work. They they provide labor, very, very cheap labor, you know? Uh, they, they put out a, a physical product, which is something that I think the government uh, appreciates and likes and uh, enjoys the profitability and the the uh, relative lack of overhead in as far as uh, you know, salaries and stuff like that. Krakoa doesn't have to worry about that. You know, Krakoa, the pit is a... The pit is a place where you're basically in the phantom zone. You're laying there unmoving and asleep but aware. It's You're not really providing a product. I mean, you are... I suppose, feeding the island itself in a way, but uh, so is everybody else on the island, you know? And uh, I don't know that the pit is... The pit's not like a private prison, so it's not like a, it's not like they're making any money here. It's not like Krakoa needs money. They don't need money. That's already been made pretty clear throughout this era here that the mutants are beyond money at this point. But, you know, we'll probably dig deeper into that as we work our way through this series, which, like I said, I'm having a really good time with it. Uh, Leonard Kirk's art here is, is wonderful, too. I haven't seen much of Kirk since since he was working with uh, Peter David, I believe, on, um, I think he did some X Factor. I know he did Supergirl back in the 90s, uh, into the, you know, turn of the century. Leonard Kirk's a really wonderful artist here, and it's just, it's really nice to see him be a part of this. But, um... I suppose that gets us to the point in the episode where I say, overall, and, uh, you know, this issue, you know, it's not perfect, nothing is perfect, but I'm still quite enjoying it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of odd when we stop and think about it, how, at least personally, at least to me, you know, this is my opinion, uh, the most satisfying chapters that take place in this Krakoan era are the ones set about taking the piss out of the whole thing. You know, uh, Krakoa really is a house of cards. It only still stands because you know certain members of the society want it to, and uh, you can tell there's a topple on its way, and I just hope it all topples before we all give up and lose interest. But uh, that's my opinion. That's what I think about it. 
I want to hear what you think about it. So if anybody out there has any thoughts on this series, this era, this run, anything, please feel free or I encourage you. <laughs> I encourage you to write in and chat me up here. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You can also join us on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men. Of course, the audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere. The internet aggregates noise for you. There is a Patreon. It's uh, it's currently on hold, I think. I hope. Uh, If it's not, please let me know. I feel like a uh, dishonest, dirty thief having a Patreon and not putting anything out there on the you know, the other feed. So it's kind of on pause. It's still a thing. So if you want to be a part of it, you can you can sign up. It won't charge you because it's on pause. But uh, it's there if anybody's interested. But I think that will do it for me for today. I would like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll be talking to you again real soon. See ya. Yeah.